listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, for those of you who are new today, or maybe those who have been joining us for throughout this series, we're in the middle of a, a series on 1 John, and today we're talking about love. God's love for us, yes, but our love for one another as well. And even more specifically today, we're talking about our love for other believers in Jesus. So how are we as Christians supposed to treat one another? That's kind of the big question John's going to get at today in our text. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. 1 John 3, verses 11 through 18, they'll also be displayed on the screen here, or you can power up your phones and scroll there as well, whatever your preference is. Please rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Love is one of those words that everybody, well, loves. Ask anyone, are, are you pro or anti-love? No one's going to say, you know, I'm just not really into this whole love thing. I just can't get on board with it. That's the problem with our world today is there's just way too much love to go around. No one's saying that, right? We strive to love the world, to love our neighbors, love everyone and everything. All aboard the love train, right? Can we just start there? Love is a good thing, yeah? Here's the problem, though. Love is easy in theory, but it's harder in practice. People are just really, really, really hard to love sometimes. You ever notice this? Maybe it's just a Pastor Luke problem. People, myself included, are really, really difficult to love. David Foster Wallace exposes this truth in one of his essays. He poses the question this way. He says, is it possible really to love other people? 
If I'm lonely and in pain, everyone outside me is potential relief. I need them. But can you really love what you need so badly? Isn't a big part of love caring more about what the other person needs? How am I supposed to subordinate my own overwhelming need to someone else's need that I can't even feel directly? Good question. How am I supposed to subordinate my own overwhelming need for someone else's? And as Christians, which is to say we are people who look to God's Word as the ultimate source in authority, the question actually gets more complicated because Scripture reveals that by nature, human beings always look out for who? The sky, number one. Ever since Adam, it's been in our blood. So, so how in the world am I supposed to prioritize the needs of others when my own needs so often take center stage? Here's the main point for today, and I'm going to spend the rest of our time unpacking this and trying to prove it to you. Love is impossible apart from a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And when I say love, I mean love in the true, full sense, Christian Love is impossible apart from a work, a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. We've all heard the phrase, don't be a hater, yeah? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had, like I mentioned, our trunk or treat event here at church. It was awesome. I got to eat so many peanut butter cups. We are still trying to finish off that, that six pounds that we took home with us or something. It was, it was kind of the best night of my life, I have to say. Um, I got to dress up as Mario. <clears throat> Mario is my Halloween costume. And when I say that, I mean like, I have one Halloween costume, and I'm Mario for the rest of my life, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, but I showed up at church, and I realized that there was one person in particular who was not particularly okay with me being Mario. In fact, he had some very strong opinions, weirdly, that... Luigi is better than Mario, and he would not stop arguing to me about this all night long. He's telling me all these reasons why Luigi is, is better than Mario, and it was just relentless. A crazy idea, I understand. So, like, I mean, yeah. My point in telling you this, and there is a point, I'm fairly certain. My point in telling you this is that basically the idea that, that, I, that I had, that I tried to convey to him, I won't mention any names, Titus, but <laughs> trying to say, man, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. I never said that or anything, but that was kind of the, the idea going on there, right? And that's how our text opens up this morning. Verses 11 through 12, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. You can read the whole story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. I encourage you to do so. It won't take you very long. But here's the gist of it. Cain and Abel were sons of, of Adam and Eve. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. 
And they both came to the Lord and they, they brought an offering before the Lord. Cain brought an offering from the ground. Abel brought an offering of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And God, what did He do? Well, He looked on, on Abel's offering with favor, but not Cain's. Understandably, Cain became jealous and murdered his brother. Sibling rivalry at its most extreme. This is interesting, isn't it? The very first siblings in Scripture literally kill each other. This is the story John is referencing in our text today. And he's using it as a counterexample. He's saying, look, this is what love does not look like. Don't be like Cain. Don't go around murdering people. That goes without saying, I would think, I would hope. So it's easy for most of us to say, well, I can check that box off my list. I never crushed my sibling's skull when they got on my nerves, so I'm good to go, right? Actually, it's not quite that simple. Because just a few verses later, John drops this bombshell, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John is redefining the criteria for murder. It's not just about someone who does the deed. That's not the only way that you, get, you become guilty. John says anyone who harbors hate toward a fellow believer is guilty of breaking the commandment. That's strong medicine, isn't it? But it echoes almost verbatim what Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. We get that. But I say to you, in other words, Jesus is expanding upon this teaching. He's saying, no, it goes deeper than this. Let's keep drilling down. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, be liable to the hell of fire. Losing our tempers. Insulting people to their faces or behind their backs, name-calling. All of these fall under the category of sin. It's not just our external actions that make us guilty. You see, God cares just as much and ultimately about our internal attitudes because, you see, that's the engine that, that drives our actions. It's out of the heart that these things come. So you see, it's not just about what our hands do, it's about what our hearts desire. It's not just about what our hands do, it's about what our hearts desire. In his large catechism, Martin Luther, he expands upon each of the commandments. And this is what he says about the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. He says, the heart should not be ill-disposed toward anyone, nor from anger and hatred wish him ill, so that body and soul may be innocent in regard to everyone, but especially those who wish you evil or inflict such upon you. 
See, Moses, Jesus, Martin Luther, they're all saying the same thing as the Apostle John here. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And this word murder, it actually has some some very violent connotations. It means to slay or to butcher. The law is crystal clear. With every vengeful thought, every anger fantasy, every evil intent toward our fellow believers in Christ, every eye roll, every frustrated glance, every, well, there goes so-and-so just doing their thing again that they always do, every disdainful laugh, every dismissive shake of the head, every indulgent, patronizing smile, every word of gossip, we're violently slaying our brothers and sisters in Christ. Gut check, right? David Foster Wallace's question looms large. Is it possible really to love other people? Seems like we're maybe not all that closer to an answer. So my wife and I do this thing where we rewatch old shows over and over again. Anybody else do this too? There's some, I don't know what, there's something comforting about going back and watching an old show. You know the characters, you know what's going to happen, it's predictable and just something beautiful about that. So for us, it's, it's The Office and Parks and Rec. And then now we've been watching, rewatching Frasier lately. And Frasier is as self-absorbed of a human being. I defy you to find another character in all of television who is as self-absorbed as Frasier Crane is. After breaking up with his latest girlfriend, he's just obsessed with why she dumped him. He can't figure it out, and he knows it's got to be something about him. So he's trying to, to figure out what, what this quality is in him that, that she, she couldn't love for some reason. But he can't do it. So what he does is, is he, he asks his, his dad... What's his dad's name? He asks his dad and his brother Niles and his, his friends Roz and Daphne. He, he asks them all, what is it about me that you find unlovable? By the way, you want to test a friendship with someone, throw that out there on the table. He says, I know you're afraid to hurt my feelings, but I can stand a little constructive criticism. At first, of course, they're sort of cautious, but they jump in. They jump on that train pretty quickly. Fraser, you're over-analytical, pushy, demanding, pretentious, full of yourself, pompous. At one point, Martin, his dad, again says pretentious, and Fraser says, I already wrote that one down, Dad, and his dad says, underline it. The list continues, snippy, sarcastic, bossy, huffy, vain, until finally, Fraser just gets so frustrated, he calls the whole exercise off. It's hard to hear the truth about yourself. It's hard to step into the light to have your heart exposed. It's hard to love other people when you're focused on loving yourself. Turns out the command to love one another isn't quite as simple as it sounds. 
But thankfully, John doesn't leave us there. In verse 16a, he makes this, this turn, which brings us the good news. It brings us face-to-face with the good news in full, high-definition surround sound. Here's what he says, By this we know, love, that He laid down His life for us. See, the only way we can know love is by looking at the cross. We know love because Jesus gave His life for us, dying for our sins to forgive us fully and completely, to wipe that slate clean and to fill it up again brimful with His righteousness. We're never going to figure out what true love is by looking at any other human relationship or watching any particular romantic comedy because they all fall short in some way. But God's love categorically is, is just different, right? John 3.16, if you know this verse, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent His Son, and Jesus Himself is fully God. He left heaven behind to come to earth because He prioritized you and me above everything else. Friends, God harbors no hate in His heart toward you because He was slain for you at the cross. The Son of God was murdered, experiencing the full brunt of human hate so that we could experience the abundance of God's love. Talk is cheap. It's easy to tell someone you love them. It's harder to show it. Jesus put his own skin in the game, literally. As Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but instead lavishes out love and mercy and forgiveness. Let's go back to that story of Cain and Abel, and we'll pick up where we left off. There's Cain, blood on his hands, his brother's lifeless corpse at his feet, dead on arrival. This guy is guilty. There's no question about the verdict. And God comes a-knocking. What are you doing, Abel? Where is your brother? God wasn't trying to figure it out. He knew the answer ahead of time. He killed him. And what does a murderer deserve? Wages of sin are death. But ironically, in this story, death doesn't get the final word. Listen to how this plays out. This is Genesis 4. Verses 10 through 15. Genesis 4, beginning at verse 10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is punishment, right? Abel is feeling the full brunt of the consequences of his sin. But that's not where it ends. Listen closely. Here is what God ultimately says. This is what follows. Then the Lord said to him, Not so, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Did you hear that? Did you hear that last and final word? Did you hear how God treats a murderer like Cain? Not with judgment, but with grace. He puts a mark on him guaranteeing lifelong protection. He's merciful. Cain's sin didn't stop God from caring for him because God's grace is always greater than our sin. God marks us as well. He marks us with the shed blood of His Son, which means He doesn't punish us as our sins deserve, but instead gives forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe. This is the kind of love we are called to imitate. It's one thing to put a hashtag love your neighbor sign on your front yard, It's another to sacrifice your own preferences, much less your life, for the sake of someone you disagree with. It's easy to love people in theory, it's harder in practice, but Jesus did it fully and completely. Talk is cheap, true love is costly, and it costs Him everything. Love for our fellow believers, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is impossible apart from a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And this is a day-by-day kind of miracle, moment-by-moment even, of learning to, to die to ourselves and to live for one another, following in the footsteps of Jesus. As the old song goes, loving you ain't easy. But with God, it is possible. Because true love changes us. It changes our desires and peels us away from our own self-centered cocoons to the wonderful, beautiful, greater thing that God is doing. He is building a kingdom. And friends, it is bigger than any one of us. So may He give us a kingdom mindset to see this brought to fruition And may He continually work in our hearts to redirect our love toward God and toward our neighbors. So go forth and don't be a hater. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. 
If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor KJ. O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.